God in Search of a People. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for this bonus sermon from Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, 2022, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. God created the world out of love. He always wished to dwell among his created people. Even after Adam and Eve fall, God comes in search of his people. Reverend David Pelegi reminds us that God chose Abraham and freed Israel from Egypt to establish a community to live among. After the resurrection, Jesus goes out searching for his hopeless disciples so that they can encounter him, regather into community, and multiply into a people of healing and redemption. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again come and um, want to sit at your feet, and we pray just as you taught Moses, uh, you would teach us that uh, your son Jesus would uh, be our teacher, and that uh, we would learn from him this evening. We would be blessed, that we would be challenged. Lord, we'll be perhaps less fuzzy, less hesitant, less fearful, and hopefully less doubtful. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's always um, it's always a challenge to um, preach uh, at Easter. The challenge for preachers is: uh, do preachers focus on the day, or do you preach the text? And um, so let's see if we can do the latter a little bit. However, with the context or in context of the season in which we find ourselves, because of course, we're not only here on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day, but uh, it is also the uh, Jewish feast of Passover. And um, the challenge, I believe, for us, especially very often in the culture which many of us come from, is that, um, I'm speaking of religious culture, spiritual culture, is that uh, very often Easter or the resurrection is simply an event. And um, we look to events as the very things that save us, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I'm not minimizing for the importance, minimizing for a second the importance or the centrality of the death of the Messiah and his resurrection and his ascension and his life and the ministry that he has sitting at the right hand of the Father. But, you know, we're not saved by events. We're saved by a person. And the resurrection is more than just a doctrine. Although it's a doctrine that we oftentimes seem to kind of bring out at this time of the year or at a funeral. When we read, you know, those beautiful words in John, 
And Jesus is at Bethany speaking to Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And very often during the rest of the year, right, the resurrection doesn't seem to have much of an impact. And so what to do about this? And I think it's helpful to begin by looking at this in its bigger, you might say, wider context. And that context is the story of Israel and the story of the Jewish people and how Jesus is a continuation of the story of Israel and how Jesus, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and more, his very person fits into, fits into that context. And it's interesting that twice in our passage, twice in our gospel passage, um, we have Jesus who needs to explain the things that happened to him. He needs to be the one who's the teacher. Uh, once on the road to Emmaus, Jesus mentions, he, um, he says to the, um, to the two, he says, how foolish you are. And here the word foolish means how dense. He's not talking about them perhaps being dumb. He's just talking about them. There's certain blindness. How dense and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then when Jesus, on the same day, yes, in the evening, because the Emmaus Road incident takes place in the afternoon, Jesus goes on to say, or he continues to say, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And of course, a few weeks ago, um, well, actually at the beginning of Lent, so it was more than a few weeks ago, uh, last Sunday um, before Lent, we read the story of the Transfiguration. This is when uh, Jesus took his disciples up uh, to a high mountain and the disciples heard a voice. By the way, the disciples wasn't only disciples who heard a voice. We hopefully still hear that voice or we're still listening to the voice that spoke from the cloud. And that voice that spoke from the cloud uh, spoke a one-liner. But that one-liner, at least if we understand something about the, the Jewish context, that one-liner says everything. God said, this is my son, yes, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Similar to the voice that spoke at the baptism of Jesus, but expanded. And those of us who, or those of you who know anything about the way Jews, Jewish people, divided the scripture then, uh, and do so to this day, know that there are three parts to the Hebrew Bible. 
There's the first five books, which are the Pentateuch. We have the prophets, uh, which include all the major and the minor prophets. And then we have the writings. And in the writings, we have the Psalms. And uh, we have the um, Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and so on, the book of Ecclesiastes. So those are the three divisions of Scripture. And that voice that spoke, that voice that spoke at, uh, perhaps it was Mount Hermon, maybe it was some other mountain, it's not important. The voice has a snippet, yes, from each one of those parts of Scripture. Each one of those parts of Scripture. And so this is my son, comes from Psalm 2, or the writings. And whom I'm well pleased, comes from the book of Isaiah, from the section known as the prophets, the Nevi'im. And then from the first five books, or the Torah, listen to him. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, these are the words of Moses. And on that mountain, God confirmed his son and his son's mission to go to Jerusalem, yes, with every portion of Scripture. That's the understanding that Jesus is trying to unpack to them and even unpack to us because you might think, well, wait a minute, what is this? What does this have to do with me? I believe Jesus is the Messiah, and I believe Jesus died for my sins. Great. And uh, I believe, many of us will say, in prophecy. And we know a half a dozen verses, I, at least I hope we know more. Uh, they're sort of proof text, and we can take them out and see Jesus fulfills prophecy. But when Jesus is opening the minds of the disciples to the scriptures, when he's explaining uh, the scriptures, he's not just taking a proof text here and a proof text there. He's, his, he's connecting himself. Again, his life, let's see, no, let's start from the beginning. His pre-existence, his birth, his childhood, his teaching on the kingdom of heaven, his demonstration of the kingdom of heaven with miracles and exorcisms, his illustration of the kingdom of heaven with parables, yes, his call to discipleship, come and follow me, his suffering, humiliation, death, resurrection, yes, and ultimately his ascension into glory and his coronation as king, all of that is not just a verse here and a verse there. It's part of the whole, full plan of God. And somehow we need to see that in its bigger context. And we need to make sure that the story always stays connected to the God of Israel and to God's dealings with the Jewish people, God's dealings with the people of Israel. And we see it, I think, very beautifully in the Passover. And we read Psalm 114, really one of my favorite psalms. It's um, a very nice piece of Israeli folk music uh, that uh, is sung at this time, of, this time of the year. And I think 
it should pull us back. Yes, so once again, we see the big picture and we see what God intended from the beginning that, uh, and, the, and the way that he worked and still works through his people, Israel, is by, as we uh, can surely um, assert with the Apostle Paul, has God finished with Israel? And of course not. And so God finds Moses. Here we have a group of Hebrews who know nothing about God. They don't probably even remember, maybe they remember their language. They have no memory of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God goes in search and he looks for them because it's time to fulfill his covenant. And he takes this group of people, yes, I, you know, this kind of, you might call them a motley crew, you know, very loosely connected with each other. He takes them and he, he begins to forge them and he begins to form them into a community. Yes, and in chapter 14 of Exodus, on the eve of Passover, yeah, on the eve of Passover, when God gives uh, the first commandment to these Hebrews, he calls them literally in Hebrew an Ada, an Ada, a community. And this word in Hebrew is a very rich word. It means that you're a community and you're more than just a casual group of people, right? You didn't come together for, you know, uh, you didn't come together to watch a basketball game or you didn't come together to um, see a 60s pop group, you know, charge you $250 for nostalgia, okay? It's a, it's a group that it's a community that has a purpose and it has a direction it has a calling. It has, it's quite intentional. And the word is Ada. And God begins to give commandments to Israel, and he calls them an Ada. And the first commandment, as we, we all like to, to um, say around here or remind people around here, is that, hey, if you people in Israel are going to be an Ada, you need a new identity. And what gives us an identity is a calendar. How we keep time, how we keep track of time and what we celebrate. And then of course, not only does Israel get a calendar, but soon afterwards, yes, God tells Israel, count off 14 days. And on the 14th day you bring, yes, you prepare a lamb because the angel of death is going to pass over. And God takes this Adah, he takes them and redeems them. And you know what's interesting about this? The, the, their redemption, their redemption is not because of their sin. Now, please don't get me wrong. Just a few chapters after they, Israel crosses the Red Sea, we find out they're sinners, just like everyone else. Yes, it's a very sad story that, that we go through in Exodus. Yes, Leviticus, Numbers, 
even Deuteronomy. By the time we get to the end, you know, it's not always a very pretty picture. But that's not why God redeems them. God redeems them because they're being oppressed. And God redeems them because they're being, um, they're, they're, they're being worked to death. Or God redeems them from death because Pharaoh is trying to kill. Or God redeems them from their, that land of idolatry. It's a spiritual redemption, but it's also a this-worldly redemption, right? And what we should take away from this, right, is that redemption, yes, is not in the Bible. It's not just about what happens to, we af- happens to us after we die. It has to impact yeah, the here and now and what happens to this day. And the point of all this is that once they're a community, God brings them into the desert. And then God says, in Exodus 25, verse 8, he said, after the tabernacle is built and the tabernacle starts to function, Yes, their God takes it upon himself to deal with the issues of sin and death because those are the things that will always get in the way between God and a community, between God and an individual. After God says, after that begins to function, or just on the eve, you might say, of its... uh, Initiation, God says, I want you to build this or you've built this tabernacle so that I might dwell in you, that I might dwell in the people of Israel. And that is the purpose of the Exodus. The purpose of the Exodus wasn't so that Israel or the Jewish people could come here and start El Al Airlines. And, and fight with the Palestinians about who really invented falafels, right? Or, you know, sing songs that in the minor key that go la, la, la. The purpose of the Exodus was that God wanted to bring people into the promised land to bring them blessing, but also in the midst of that blessing to dwell amongst them. That's the purpose even from Genesis. Yes, God creates because he loves. And by the way, God doesn't create because he's lonely and he needs some pet poodles or something. God creates, creation is an expression of his love. And it's God, it was God's intention from the beginning, right? To enter into fellowship with his creation and to bless that creation. That's the whole Genesis chapter one. Even when Adam and Eve sins, does it stop God? God calls Abraham. And why does God call Abraham? To be a blessing. To be blessed and to bless others. By the way, who is Abraham going to bless? He's going to bless the nations. The nations are going to do what? They're going to bless Abraham. This is going to create a mutuality and an interdependence. And in the midst of this, God will be glorified. It's going to actually create a community. 
Too bad it hasn't worked all that well throughout history. Right? But okay. That's God's intention. And this brings us, I think, to the gospel passage. And that gospel passage, it's really one of the most, I think it's one of the most beautiful in the New Testament, together with John 21, you know, when Peter quits the, the Jesus business and goes back to the fishing business. Um, Jesus goes looking for his disciples. And uh, in most of these post-resurrection stories, uh, is it not true that the disciples are kind of going the wrong way and they have the wrong idea and uh, many of them are seized with fear. Others are seized with doubt. Some are actually, reading between the lines, seem kind of cynical. Yes. Um, others are ignorant. And they all seem somewhat um, paralyzed. In our story of the two who walk along the road to Emmaus, they are hopeless because they said, we were hoping that this man would bring redemption to Israel. And man, are we disappointed. And we hitched our wagon to his star. And man, we probably, they're probably thinking we look foolish or we look at, we're somewhat embarrassed, you know, by joining a movement that uh, fizzled. And of course, Jesus comes alongside and um, Jesus breaks bread with them. And it's in the breaking of bread, yes. And notice it's a slow process. Jesus surprises them. He kind of comes uninvited, and it's only slowly over a period of time, yes, that they recognize who he is. And is it not true in, the, in our lives, or at least for many of us, I think we all think or want that, you know, we want that Damascus Road experience. We want something to happen in an instant. And it does, sometimes it does, thank the Lord, but a lot of times, yes, the Lord is traveling with us. He's present in our lives. We don't recognize him. And slowly, slowly, there comes a time or a point when we see that he was there all along. Amen? When we see that he was there all along. And when that happens... <clears throat> Eventually, or what we ultimately need is teaching from the scripture, right? Because that revelation uh, comes uh, in many different ways. But for those of you who are not familiar with an Anglican service or a traditional Christian service, you know, the old-fashioned kind, the kind that doesn't necessarily take place in an auditorium uh, with a smoke machine, um, the basis, well, look, I... Not the music team knows a few weeks ago I was shopping around for a used smoke machine, but I couldn't find one at a good price. <clears throat> you know, I don't know, they're really expensive secondhand smoke machines. Uh, maybe in our case, we should get a, an incense machine. I don't look the revel coming to worship. Right? The revelation is in the scripture. 
and the breaking of bread. And hopefully, in, the, in this process or this way of worship, we come into a deeper, right, revelation or a deeper understanding, you know, of the Lord, the Lord's ways, yes, and the way that he, he's working and active uh, in our lives. And from the upper, sorry, from the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears in the upper room. And here in the upper room, he does what God has been doing all along, right? God is in search of a people. God wants to come down and dwell. God wants to live not only in my life and in your life, so that we're a bunch of individuals kind of running around together, right? But wants to live in a people and in a community. And here we have the beginning of expanded Israel, right? Israel, God's people, right? It, his original intention and his intention to this day is that uh, um, Israel would serve the nations, that Israel would bless the nations. Israel, according to Isaiah 43, would be you know, the, the witness to the nations and that eventually somehow all nations gather to Jerusalem, right? God was always hoping and intending to expand that community. And why is it that God, yes, honors us as individuals, but is always, always, yes, challenging us and telling us through the scripture that uh, we are not lone rangers or that we're not, you know, walking this road by ourselves. And that the most important thing is not solely or only my individual salvation and my going to heaven. And indeed, those are really, truly important, right? But the redemption is is not only otherworldly and spiritual, it's always this worldly. It is always we are redeemed for this world. Yes, you can say, well, the world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That was a Larry Norman song. Yeah, listen, this present evil age is not our home. This present evil age is not our home. Right? God loves the world, and God wants to redeem the world and bring healing to the world. And that healing will come from a community, and that redemption comes from a community. And so when Jesus goes to the upper room, he then explains again, using the scripture, yes, who he is, and what is God's big, big plan? What is God's big, big plan from the beginning? Adam and Eve were to be, they were to multiply, right? And God was to live in their midst. And then it was Abraham and Israel. And now it's an expanded Israel. Meaning God isn't finished with his people. But you might say the definition of who his people are today expands and becomes bigger and becomes more inclusive. And the nations have to be redeemed. By the way, there is no redemption or there is no messianic program without 
the nations being involved. And this we know from scripture. And so Jesus in that upper room, once again, and here I think I'll make this point and start to close, so don't worry, unless you want your kids to stay out longer. We can text the... So that when we understand this, you might say God's big plan, or how are we going to understand the scripture? Our interpretive lens, the way that we are going to interpret scripture is not primarily with the historical critical method, okay? Not primarily through the reformers, God bless them, Calvin and Luther. Not primarily through the magisterium of the Catholic Church. All of these things may be helpful. Yes, all of these things may bring us a piece of the understanding. But at the end of the day, Yes, the way that scripture is understood is it has to be understood through not just events, but through the life, yes, full life, death, resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. That's the way that we interpret scripture. People ask me all the time, what am I supposed to do with the, with the laws of the Old Testament? I said, that's a really good question. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 5, I have not come, I have not come to abolish the Torah. I've come to fulfill it, right? I've come to, meaning the, those terms to abolish and to fulfill seem to be uh, technical terms used uh, in the, you might say, the academies or the teaching circles of first century Israel in which basically Jesus is saying, I've not come to abolish, I've not come to misinterpret God's law, I have come to, to fulfill it, I have come to interpret it correctly. So this is where we start, right? This is where we start. And we also read, we read a little further. Jesus, in fact, it probably wasn't in our gospel reading for some reason, but Jesus goes on, he eats in their presence, he teaches once again, and then he, sa- he opens their minds with the scriptures, he begins to tell them, you, the Christ, will suffer, rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, uh, I am going to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. Now, this is how I'd like to end. Remember that word, Ada, that we talked about, I think about 90 minutes ago? Remember the Hebrew word, Ada? That word which means community, remember, with a purpose and a direction and, and and a motivation. That same word also means a witness. That same word is a witness. And I think whether you take the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, again, Jesus, yes, is, wants to form us into a community. And that community in and of itself is the witness. 
Now, we sometimes think the witness is preaching, and it's true. Or the, wit the witness is testifying. It's all very good. But before any of that happens, the community, yes, the people of God, indeed, are the witness. And the proof positive, you might say, of the resurrection, the, the, the positive proof of the resurrection and the positive proof of the power of the gospel is that in the first century that Jews and Gentiles who didn't get along with each other could worship together and love each other and still keep a certain distinct identity. The power of the gospel today is that you can have a community that continues to love each other and not agree about the vaccine and not cancel each other out or not stomp out of the church because uh, somebody gave an offense or be able to disagree and continue to love and serve and honor one another even though you cannot, you know, come to uh, any consensus about the former president of the United States, the guy with the blonde hair, <laughs> or that black and whites, or that Turks and Greeks, or that uh, Sunni and Shia Muslims who come to faith, or Jews and Arabs, whatever it may be, Arabs and Berbers, different tribes who, who live in Africa, right? What did Jesus say? The, they said, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another, meaning as a community. That's the proof of the resurrection. And the resurrection, again, it not only saves us as individuals, but the death of Jesus exposes evil, it exposes sin, it exposes the works of the devil, and in his humility and powerlessness, which I think Marcel, who spoke earlier today, he made a point of, yes, those things are defeated. And the resurrection allows the sending of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is, by the way, is not primarily for our edification or goosebumps or signs and wonders, even though I have no issue with any of those things. The Holy Spirit is given and empowers the community for the mission. And it also empowers the community. It gives us the fruit of the Spirit so that we can live together with, live together with each other in love or in joy, or in shalom. And that, yes, having the risen Jesus in our midst, that is our witness. And that's been God's intention from the beginning. And that intention finds its greatest, you might say, even fulfillment, almost its climax, yes, in what we call the church, and what we call the body of the Messiah, what we call the family of God, what we call the commonwealth of Israel, 
because we as Gentiles are brought into it. Or what we call the end of Ephesians, a holy temple, yes, that is being built up and being a place where God can live. And Paul says that at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, he says that Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 1 is all about my peace with God. But Ephesians chapter 2 is all about peace, yes, between people. Yes, yes, bringing the, uh, the death, bringing death to enmity or jealousy or strife or competition or insecurity about my place or insecurity about my identity. Yes, or always having to fight or elbow for my rights, whatever it may be. Right? Paul says three times in that chapter about two different ethnic groups. He says, Jesus in his death and resurrection came to bring peace. And he concludes with the following. So he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and and aliens, but fellow citizens uh, with God's people and members of God's household. In this case, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But today we could talk about black and whites, or we could talk about, uh, um, again, Greeks and Turks, or we could talk about uh, we could talk about Americans and immigrants, whatever it may be. He says, "You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together." to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Brothers and sisters, he is risen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King